Hello, welcome to the DIY Recording Equipment Podcast. I'm Peterson Goodwin. And I'm Chris Baldes. Um, we are back today with another Explain Like I'm Five. And today we're going to talk about a question that, uh, well, I don't get this question specifically a lot, but it's more like it underpins, it's like an assumption mm. of a lot of questions that people ask, and that is, why is pro audio gear so expensive? Emphasis on so expensive, so there's the assumption that it's, you know, more than it needs to be. <laughs> um, but I thought it'd be interesting to pick that apart because um, we do make recording equipment here, so we have some insight into that. Um, and I think basically it comes down to two major factors, s- scale and hardware. And we'll talk about more about what those mean. But... Uh, but yeah, I guess, well, let's do hardware first. I think that's that's easier. Um, basically, I think a lot of people get the idea, especially when you get into DIY and you start looking at projects and you start pricing them out and you go, oh, wow, like a 1073 only has like $5 worth of resistors and transistors, or that's a bad example because those are discontinued. But that that kind of thing, <laughs> like where you you're like, oh wow, this guitar pedal only has five dollars of parts. Why is it a hundred dollars? And I and just to, you know, I've definitely been there. I was there. Um, <laughs> is that why you like started the company specifically? <laughs> uh, yeah, kind. I mean, it's definitely why I got into DIY. I mean, that's what the bio says. And Mm. it's true. It's like, I was, um, I remember specifically pricing out like eight channels of moderate quality preamps and Mm. at $3,000. And at that time I had a quote unquote studio in my basement and I was charging $10 an hour for the you know studio time and my time and i was like oh my god i'd have to work 30 days you know be booked 30 30 right. days yeah. and at that time I, I you know i wasn't even thinking about like taxes or food or anything i was just <laughs> thinking like 300 hours of my time equals <laughs> these preamps i remember when you i like remember hearing about it and seeing them like i think it was when i came to visit for that mount erie show right it was around that time that you had just built the preamps or yeah yeah right yeah that's right and so i i did end up building them for a lot less than three thousand dollars um so yeah i mean there is definitely truth to it that like i mean pff, the time i put into that was crazy but um <laughs> So the hardware aspect, though, is the stuff that you typically leave out of that equation when you're like, oh, it's only $5 in parts. And I did this exact same thing when I when I first built my first eight channels of uh, that 1512, which is mm. an integrated circuit-based preamps. It, it probably was about $10 in parts for each channel. So I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. It's going to be like, you know, 100 bucks. Um, but like what you leave out of the equation is that is the hardware, like the fact that that those parts need to interface with the physical world. Hmm. And so so the case was, or like, are you talking about the casing or transporting or like, yeah, all, all specifically that stuff. Yeah. So the case alone, 
I mean, uh, you can look this up for yourself. Google one unit, 19 inch rack mount case. Like you can't get a blank case for less than $50. Hmm. And that's a blank one that you need to do all your own drilling and labeling for and stuff. So that alone was 50 bucks. And I remember having some major sticker shock over that. Um, So, but then you also need to like drill that front panel and label it in some way. And um, so if you don't have the... If you don't, don't have the, the resources tools. for that, that's a major expense in, in time and equipment. And then and then you have to power them. And like for me at least, the power supply ended up costing more than all of the audio, quote unquote audio huh. circuitry combined. Huh. There were I had eight channels of preamps of roughly ten dollars in parts each. And the power supply, I think, ended up being like 120 because I bought a kit. Oh wow! So you're like already at like two fifty three hundred dollars listed, mm-hmm. and then was there more or? Um, there were knobs. There were knobs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> knobs are like surprisingly expensive. I remember getting the cheapest knobs I could find on Mouser at that time, and they were a dollar each. And I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like ten dollars and knobs? Like if I could choose to, I wouldn't even have knobs." <laughs> And and why did you need knobs? What made you think you needed knobs? Well, because I had to have clients, and I didn't want <laughs> clients to be like, "Oh, what? He doesn't even have, he can't even Couldn't afford knobs." It. You know, <laughs> I actually sold the knobs for shoelaces. I figured that was more important. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, well, the I mean, all the stuff that's not on the circuit board, like the electromechanicals. Oh. Though that alone, though that's probably more than the circuit too. There's the XLR jacks. Oh yeah. The the potentiometers, the switches, all that stuff is so expensive because mm. it's like I don't know why. I mean, I guess you, there are some good reasons why, but like the way the world has worked out is it's like super cheap to make these chips that have a thousand transistors on them, mm. but it's still not that cheap to make a little switch that goes. <laughs> back and forth because it can like break it's got to be it's got to mm. sustain pressure and not get oxidized over time so maybe you want silver gold contacts and um hmm. yeah so so i would say like for each channel of a preamp you have two xlr jacks one pot minimum and one at least one switch that's five bucks right there in hmm. parts in cheap parts if you want the gold plated one that's 10 bucks mm. at least um so you can see how that project ended up being at least five or six hundred dollars mm. for me, and but that I, and that was not like the Cadillac model. I was, you know, spending more time than I should have looking for the cheapest version of everything. Mm. What um, um, what's the difference between the Cadillac? Mo- like, is it just nicer everything, or is there like a qualitative dis- difference, like in the sound? Uh, I mean, I could have used like shielded wire to go from the mm. from the actual but preamp circuit boards to you know i could have probably reduced rfi and emi like various interferences a little bit mm. um yeah a better pot pots are potentiometers have um an electrical element to them so mm. they have a sound and they have you know uh how much would like um a piece of gear be in the range of like quality that like you built that. So that's a really good question. I mean, I think definitely if that, if what I had built 
looked nice and could sit on a shelf. Hmm. Yeah, the two or three thousand dollars probably hmm. in terms of like the specs. But, so you were still, able but it's to not. You know, I mean, it's definitely not like that. It's definitely not like there's a direct correlation between specs and price. But you know that. I mean, right. yeah. yeah. But like, yeah. yeah, that's the kind of thing that the preamps I built could sell for two to three thousand dollars. Hmm. Um. So that's the hardware aspect of it too, and I know that there's nothing like revolutionary there, but it's just stuff that oh, the, you you like leave off of the off of the um, calculation usually, usually when you're like pricing out a project, and you're like, man, like this is ten dollars in parts. How the heck do they get off charging two thousand dollars? You know, you don't think about. Uh, the power supply and and all this stuff. I've never thought about a power supply. That's right. never happened. Right. I then I I'm waiting for the day when I think right. About it. Yeah. And it's really a shame because it it um it's a it's a false dichotomy between like the parts that make the sound and the parts that don't make the sound. Hmm. And they you know it's true that like I mean this is what the whole color platform is based off. It's true that like ninety. 90% of the sound under 95 could be contained in like $5 worth of parts. Hmm. But if you really, I mean, it's law of diminishing returns, right? Like if you want to get, keep getting that extra 1% of performance, you hmm. have to have an awesome power supply and a well-designed chassis that's going to block, you know, radio frequency and electromagnetic interference hmm. and nice jacks that won't degrade over time. And like that, so that's all like in a more, in a broader conception, it's all part of the sound. So it's not like you're just paying for stuff that you don't need. It's like, it's just that like, it can be deceptive to think about, oh, this is the audio circuit. Oh, and then we got to put all this stuff we don't need around it. That's expensive. That's not the case. It just kind of looks like that at first blush. You know, do you think there, this is, this is a tangent, but do you think like, (laughs) I remember we were talking about that bike that got kickstarted and, and that it was like, it was, um, a bike that, uh, he wanted to design a super cheap, but long lasting bike by minimizing elements of the bike that often need replacing or like Mm -hmm. using specific, like, I think he, I don't know anything about bikes, but he was saying something about like tires that go flat less frequently or blah, blah, blah. Right. And like, do you think there are some formalities that like, do you think there's anything in that realm that like we actually could do without that would make life easier like a format change to like all one type of cable or like not even using um cables or doing like wire into clamps or something or like something along those lines that could actually lower the price and then you wouldn't need nice ones because you wouldn't have you wouldn't need nice jacks because you wouldn't have jacks to go bad in the first place Hmm. like are there like things that are actually luxuries that seem like necessities that's a really good question um and it is a tangent right no that's a that's a really good question though i mean the first thing that occurs to me is i've seen mic cables where it's actually terminated in a terminal block like screw terminal thing oh wait like a like uh, i'm sorry i don't know what you're like oh yes yes like those yes, little yes. plastic Clamp things down the right you screw down the terminal yeah. into a wire so that's one thing that would definitely be cheaper and they don't break and they're simple mechanic right. but like it's things. also not like a simple plugging this motion. is true 
Um, I mean, that's a great question for like some out of the box thinking um, that could push things forward. Uh, my another intuitive response to that is like a lot of the stuff that people leave out, and I've learned this the hard way. A lot of the stuff that seems like you're achieving elegance by leaving extraneous stuff out of the circuit is what makes it last longer. It's weird in audio that it seems like the more complex things often break less because a lot of that complex stuff is there to prevent it from breaking. To prevent it from from breaking or to just make things operate in a more ideal way that doesn't stress the components as much. Huh. And so the so when, housekeeping is what you're paying for more often than not or like not housekeeping but like so like I've I've really learned this all from Jens Youngkirth, the Ison audio guy who consults on our designs, and he's like, he's a he repairs a lot of consoles, mm. and so he's seen every fa- failure mode you can see, and he's seen things like so like one of the hot things is like transformerless um, mic preamps that are super transparent and they don't have any electrolytic capacitors or sometimes no capacitors in the signal path Hmm. and it's supposed to be like oh wow it's so transparent well if you somehow get dc going through that it'll go right to the speaker and blow out the speaker (laughs) you know like so that's one of those things where you're like the designer obviously wasn't thinking that they wanted that to happen but they were thinking oh i'll make this more transparent more elegant Hmm. by taking out these components that are actually like last line of defense, sort of. Right, exactly. Hmm. Um, or even like on a much smaller scale, say there's some stray DC happening because um, some component in there, it over time has stopped behaving ideally. Hmm. And that a small amount, you know, way, way, way less than even half a watt of DC over time can destroy a pot. Um, so all of a sudden you have dead potentiometers and everywhere. And yeah. it's like a sickness moving throughout as it right. finds things to break. Exactly. Through. So, but yeah. So a lot of that stuff that it looks like, oh my God, why are there so many parts here? It's just a preamp. A yeah. lot of that just has to do with crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that, I guess that kind of falls under hardware. Cause it's like the kind of thing that if you were just... If it didn't have to exist in the real world for a certain number of, and in in the d- time dimension, hmm. you would leave out, and it would be cheaper, and it really it would, would work be that day and be amazing, right? <laughs> like there's a schematic that's been going around for years and years, ever since Texas Instruments released this like mic preamp in a chip. Oh, and it's called the five dollar preamp, and it's like just that chip. And then an output driver and, and something to adjust the gain, maybe. And it is. It's like $5 in parts. And it on paper, it's a preamp. But it's like in no way ready to see a recording studio. Mm-hmm. You know, if you built this $5 thing and put it in your recording studio, you know, and, and I'm not discouraging that at all. Right. Okay. Um, but you would have a preamp that would work, but maybe it wouldn't work for that long. Or maybe it could destroy something else if you haven't properly decoupled it hmm. from that in from the outside world and hmm. um definitely if you don't put it in a box it's going to pick up whatever you know <laughs> i love lucy two times a day or whatever <laughs> like 
Um, I like that you picked that show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the show's everywhere. <laughs> Just can't get away from it. Yeah. see him home. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that, like, yeah, that's hardware, yeah. I think, in a nutshell. And the other component you mentioned earlier was scale. Yeah, so sc- scale, right. <clears throat> and I think everyone's familiar with you know, economies of scale, like the more you make, the cheaper it gets to make each thing. And it might not be immediately clear unless you've been in audio for a while, but that pro audio, especially the recording side, as opposed to the like live side Hmm. is a niche industry. It's like, it's not big. There's like maybe what, maybe 10 retailers in the U S devoted exclusively to pro audio stuff. So it's, Definitely, like, and there are certainly people who are, you know, in this industry who are are doing pretty big scale, but compared to any other tech industry, it's very small. Hmm. So along with that comes, like, so say I am, let's stick with what we've been talking about. Say I'm designing an eight-channel preamp that I want to have manufactured and I want it to be cost-effective. When I have the metal work done to have the chassis made and printed and anodized and drilled and all that. Um, the, the large, a huge part of that cost is what's called NREs, non-renewing, non-recurring engineering or tooling fees, setup mm. costs, basically, mm. you know, it's like what it takes a lot of time to set that stuff up. Maybe the manufacturer has to make a new, die or something for some stamping or make a jig to do something so that stuff's expensive but then once they start doing it the more they do it it gets spread across more and more right exactly Mm -hmm. so like in audio in pro recording audio we who make stuff have to amortize that nre over a much smaller number of units Mm. than someone who's doing hence uh you know smartphones or something right and and that's true, and you could think of that startup cost and apply it to pretty much everything in the business, like right. like R and D. Like it, maybe it takes you a year to design an eight-channel preamp. You got to spread that across. Yeah, right. You know, like if you're say you're really knocking it out of the park and you're selling a thousand of these a year, um, and Apple sold like more than a hundred million iPhones last year. Right. Like, there's no way. It there's no way the R and D for the new iPhone was one hundred thousand times more expensive right. than the R and D for your eight right. channel preamp. Like it was definitely way, way more, more expensive, expensive, but not a hundred thousand times. But they're going to sell a hundred thousand times as many phones, so you need a higher margin. So not only does it cost more for you to get the stuff to sell, you also need to market up more. Mm-hmm. It's like it's low quantity it's a low quantity high margin business right and there are definitely people who have a a lower margin higher volume strategy in this business but in general like even those people compared to you know Lenovo or something right are playing a very high margin game and that's it's just for the same reason above even if you're only selling 100 things a year you still have to have you still have to rent an office right. and pay for insurance right. and do the R&D. And um, I don't know. I feel like what I'm saying could sound kind of like that's a bad thing or like I'm down on it or like isn't that a shame? But really I think that's like an 
in my mind, like an unqualified good thing. That there's this niche industry of people making making the best products they can, selling them to a small market, and getting a healthy margin for it so they can keep operating. Yeah. Because it, it keeps small manufacturers in business. Um, it keeps whole, like, cottage industries going of people who are, like making cool stuff that otherwise we would only have the right. prosumer right. high volume low margin market yeah. you know so i think um yeah so i don't i don't mean to make it sound like oh it's such a shame that it's such a low quantity niche thing and that high margins are bad it's just the way it is yeah and and the way and if you want to think about it again back to apple like whenever someone asks tim cook why they have so many billions in a checking account or a savings account, they're like, well, it's what we need to continue making the best products in the world. And that sounds like, you know, bullshit. And I'm, and I'm sure it is in large part, but it's also like they, their design team has absolutely no resource limitations. And so in a way you could think of like the margin, the high margins that you have to pay for this low volume pro audio stuff as what's making it possible for that thing to exist at all. At all, right. If the margin weren't there, it wouldn't exist. Yeah. It's what's making the years of putting in R and D, you know, on spec. Like I don't know any person who has like venture capital to design a mic preamp. Like these people are putting in their time like <laughs> right. on spec. And that's what makes it possible is that when they bring it to market, there's a margin that eventually they can make it back. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, the, the question, why is pro audio gear so expensive? It's a very fair question. It yeah. is expensive, especially since music is not like paying. Right. <laughs> that's the big problem I'm seeing. It's right. like, it's like for the people who, for whom it doesn't matter that it's expensive. Right. Like they, someone can make 300 units, then sell them at an insane markup and do just fine. Right. But like in the DIY thing, the fact that a similar markup principle applies with a group of people who are trying to like work with less, it's like, I agree. Like the markup in this case is like way more friendly then uh, the markup for someone who's like working on their the spare time, like they like they are the people who deserve that money. Mm-hmm. But it, it's like interesting how it seems to like, um, like limit the flow of fun to a certain degree. Well, okay. Well, wait, but that's I was really not, not intending right this to turn into like a Marxist. Not, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not not criticizing. You're bringing up that point because it's a great point. And I was just going to say, I wasn't intending this to turn into like a, this is why DIY is awesome thing, but okay, it might have to turn into that. All right, that's fine. But like, so (laughs) yeah, like you're saying, it's like, if I wanted that $3,000 preamp, maybe once a year, I could make an investment like that at my home studio uh, level. And there's nothing wrong with not having a ton of gear. I agree. Yeah. But like second, (laughs) like there are things you need in the studio and it's expensive and so there are a lot of these like items that make up the cost of a unit of a piece of gear that are totally fair and we're not criticizing that for being the way it is but like assembly returns repairs 
uh, distributorship markup, dealership markup, all that stuff. Um, If you're the kind of consumer who can bring to the table their own assembly skills, their own ability to like research and see what exactly they need and do some like, you know, real research and thinking about it. And um, again, there's nothing wrong with this, but beyond calling up a sales rep right. at a at a dealer and saying, well, this is my rig. What do you think I need? You know, if you can bring that stuff to the table to begin with, you can cut out a major part of the cost by doing it yourself or right. buying a kit to do it yourself. And the even cooler part about that is that when you are that kind of consumer, like we are, that stuff is not a cost to you. It's a value. Right. Because you're like, I love assembling stuff. <laughs> so the ability to assemble it isn't a cost for you. It's not like, oh, well, it's cheap, but I have to spend my time building this thing. <laughs> it's like, no, it's cheap and I get to build it and I get to geek out researching gear and components and stuff yeah, for yeah. hours, which in itself is also intrinsically valuable <laughs> to me. It's true. So, so that's kind of why it's... Uh, okay, I was hoping to not have to say this, but that's why like DIY is so freaking awesome. <laughs> um, you did say like eight times you didn't want that to happen. Right. <laughs> I feel kind of bad now. Yeah. It's just... You you painted me. You tr- made me do this, man. You, you trapped me. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the way. That's the big way to make that make having this gear possible if you don't have. If you're not liquid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just to finish the, I guess, to wrap it up, finish the thought, I think recording gear is expensive. Obviously, there are ways it can be less expensive, especially if you can build your own stuff. But I I really don't believe um, it's too, ex- like, the, there's if you go to a, an AES or like a NAM show or any of these conferences where people who make gear congregate, it's not like it's like Davos. It's not like the World Economic Forum or something. Like no one's in a suit. I mean, maybe Some, a couple people right. are in suits, but like suits. it is not like the kind of industry that people get into and then are like laughing their way to the bank. There's no lobby for pro audio equipment. Yeah. That, well, that's that, interesting. Yeah, and that's my take on it. I I, I fully uh, expect and hope that there will be some spirited debate about this and questions yeah i can't imagine everybody because like it's too it's too close to people's hearts as cheesy right. as that sounds it's like no it has affected everybody who's like right hearts and wallets yeah <laughs> which are very close to hearts yeah i have a heart-shaped wallet <laughs> so got it for uh, valentine's day anyway <laughs> anyway yeah i hope that your inner five-year-old understands now the some of the uh driving I hope it things. doesn't sound discouraging. Like, or like, like people should make things. It was obviously true. Yeah, pe- <laughs> yeah, people should make things. Is hopefully the message that everyone gets out of every one of our podcasts, right? So make. this, hey, good job, <laughs> we did it. Um, cool. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, check us out at DIYRecordingEquipment.com. You can subscribe to the newsletter where we let you know when things like a new podcast or a new kit happen. Uh, like us on Facebook so that our graph can go up and to the we right. Love, we're big on graphs here. We're big on the big metrics. Big on graphs. Yeah. Graphs are really Up and important. to the right. That's yes, how we like it. Right. 
down uh, into the left. Down into the left is okay is, too. Right, because it's back in time. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. See you next time.